Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. The cobbles are back, the classic season is in bloom, and we're here to offer our unsolicited opinions on opening weekend. I am, as always, joined by my co-host Tom. Tom, I would ask how you are, but I have it on quite good authority that you're not very well at the moment. Yeah, well, I've been complaining at you on WhatsApp for at least an hour now. Uh, it's, it's not been a good day. Um, woke up this morning and cracked my head on my desk as I leant over to get my phone, uh, which does not look very flattering on the video as we record this uh, podcast. Um, and it really hurt. And then I've tried to go out for a run this evening and rolled my ankle. And I suspect it's certainly sprained there might be something broken in there is i've loaded up on some prescription strength painkillers left over from when my dad had a hip replacement um which have taken the edge off but that really hurts as well so this is this is a difficult recording for me this is the irony of this whole thing is that we had a conversation a few days ago about how you're on a fitness drive at the moment and you're not drinking and this is going to be your month to get back on track get your running going well, I've still got the weights in my bedroom, so we're just going to have to bulk up instead. <laughs> how, how are you feeling with your prescription strength codeine that you're on at the moment? Are you feeling, uh, feeling up to talking about some cycling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, unfortunately, I, seem to, I, I damage myself so much that these things don't have me high as a kite like they should. <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, Tom, I don't, we don't really have time for, for pity or pleasantries here. The races are coming thick and fast. We have a lot to discuss, and crucially, my dad gets frustrated when these go over 30 minutes in length. So let's rewind back to Saturday. Uh, We had this year's edition of the Omloop Het Newsblad. Um, I think before kind of going into the racing that we we watched there, it's important to talk about uh, an issue that's come up almost after the race, which is the prize money debate. Now, for anybody that hasn't kept up with that, I will deliver now a few numbers from that. So basically what's happened is Davide Ballerini, who won the men's edition of the Omelie Pet Newsblad this year, was awarded 16,000 euros for his victory. Anna van der Bregen, who won the women's edition, was awarded 930 euros. Now, that is a massive disparity. Um, Tom, what do those initial numbers say to you? Um, it's a difficult one to comment on because I know the organisers have come out and said that Specifically, the organisers of uh, Omloop and the Flanders Classics have actually done, and they've said there's a lot goes on behind the scenes and sort of the exposure they've tried to give to women's cycling. Um, and they don't want it to be seen that they're doing nothing. Um, but you're right. I mean, that is a big disparity. And for me, it's not something that's obviously specific just to cycling. It's um, sport in general, and it's a societal thing that needs to change. But the economics of it are at the moment that the men's races probably do draw in more money than the women's. And that's why there's this disparity in prize money. You see, and this is the issue in, in that phrase, you've highlighted the issue, essentially it's a structural issue. So what mm. the CEO of Flanders classics, as you mentioned, has come out and said is that the prize money is obviously not a quick fix. They can't just put the prize money and it's all sorted. They're saying that to solve it at a structural level, you need to invest in the TV broadcasting. You need to invest in the races themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will give them more coverage and attract more sponsors. Um, I think he also said in an interview recently that their plan is to have uh, some sort of idea of equality by 2023. Uh, and he mentioned the example of the Shell de Priest, which we have a women's edition of now. Um, 
the other side of the debate, the debate obviously, is that the prize money is a very, very clear marker of the value that you attribute to a race, and in that sense, women's cycling in general. I know one of the debates I saw was saying that essentially these riders are salaried, and it really should come down to the d- debate should be over what they're paid from these teams and prize money is essentially just a bonus on top and shouldn't really come into it. I know that's one view that's taken as well. Exactly. Um, While we're on that as well, the prize money, of course, only benefits those that are winning the races, which tend mm-hmm. to be those races. Well, those riders like Anna van der Bregen at the moment, who is double world champion, world champion on the road and time trialing. I'm sure she's got enough sponsorship deals as it is. It's the people that are coming 50th, 60th that aren't getting these rewards anyway that would benefit right. more from the structural changes no and as i said it's um it's something that happens across the board in all sports i know there's quite a few tennis players are quite vocal about it um on both sides i mean the less said about novak Djokovic, the better really i think as well something that people bring into this debate is the coverage and the viewing figures um i saw on twitter that and i can't remember who it was so i can't credit them but they quoted the viewing figures on dutch tv and on NPO1, which I believe was the host broadcaster of the race, uh, the women's race attracted 330,000 viewers, while the men's race attracted 170,000. Now, that's almost twice as many people watching the women's race. And it was a similar story on Dutch Eurosport, where the women's race attracted 22,000 viewers and the men's race 17,000 viewers. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it depends on what the races are each year and how many races there are in the women's calendar for people to watch. But I think as long as people are watching the races and these numbers are coming out, hopefully the sponsors will realise that it's beneficial for them to invest in the women's in the women's racing. Absolutely. I would like to see figures from another country, to be honest, because the way the Dutch have dominated women's cycling for the last five, ten years, I would very much expect them to be if if any country were to be more pro women cycling than men cycling, it would be the Dutch. So I I don't know what the figures are for in a country that's less cycling mad on a whole, like Britain, for example. I'd love to see the figures there because I I doubt even for the men's races the viewership's that high in this country. Mm. Well, I mean, with the with platforms like GCN Plus now, surely it would be very easy for them to publish these figures. I don't, as far as I'm aware, they I don't think they did. Uh, and that might be because I know they had issues with broadcasting over the weekend. Uh, so they might be uh, trying to keep their heads down. But um, yeah, I think it's interesting. And it's also interesting that I saw with uh, just talking about kind of the sexism with the disparity in the prize money. Apparently, female journalists were given pink parking passes, whilst male journalists were given blue ones. That's bizarre and just so unnecessary. But it's just, it's just unnecessary discrimination. Mm. But it shows that the organisers of these race... It's either... not necessarily even discrimination, is it? It's just a complete... It's just an assumption that doesn't have to be made, though. Yeah, and I think yeah. van, der Spie- van den Spiegel, who is the CEO of Flanders Classics, who basically organised all of these cobbled races that we watch this time of year, mm-hmm. um, he said something... He, he gave a really terrible response to it in the interview I was reading where he said something along the lines of yeah, well, those colours are rooted in tradition and everybody understands what those colours mean. Uh, the riders don't really care. It's They're just more concerned that we're looking after their safety. And I was like, no, I think they're probably more concerned that you pay them equally and uh, make sure that they're getting the right coverage. I was going to say, but, but, but why would it make a difference? And are, 
unless male and female journalists are treated differently, um, then there's no reason to differentiate. Yeah, it's absurd. Well, hopefully, I mean, they've promised that by 2023, we will have some inkling of equality between the races. Um, that may need to be accelerated a little bit faster. Um, but on the topic of accelerating faster, let's jump into the racing then. Anna van der Bregen, what a class act. Yeah, pretty much. Um, as you said, double world champion. Um, early season showing pretty much that she's on exactly the same form as she was when the season rounded out uh, late last year. She's one of these riders that I imagine when the peloton sees her go off the front, which her team SD works do a lot where they send this kind of decoy rider off the front, get the whole peloton to chase them. And then when they reel them back in, Van, Van, uh, Van der Bregen, almost, she almost slingshots out of the Counter peloton. Counter attacks straight away. Exactly. Yeah. And you can almost see the exact moment where the hearts of everyone in the peloton just drops and they're all like, oh, what is the point now? Because I think she went off on the Bosberg and then you can see it, it's that time trialing prowess that she's got. And obviously she's the time trial champion at the moment where she's so still on the bike. Her arms are still, her back is still, her back is flat and she's just cutting through the air, powering through towards the finish line. It's, uh, I, I just don't see how anybody can beat her when she, when she goes into that mode. These female Dutch riders, all of them, I mean, Van Vluten was always very similar the way, I mean, she was, I guess, a bit more all about the sort of power rather than the uh, technique, but they just seem to be able to attack and solo away and no one can get near them. Mm. Well, Van Vluten sadly has been got by the Movistar curse at the moment. Well, that was inevitable. I mean, that team will never, it's, yeah, that's just what they do. <laughs> They almost, they, what did they almost win today? They had a really, they had a couple of really well-placed riders at the front of the uh, Saman des Dames, the, the women's edition of Le, Le Saman. And I just knew watching it, I was like, Movistar are not going to be able to win this because Movistar cannot win bike races. No, they can, they can win the team classification at a three-week Grand Tour. And that is what they're set up to do. And they seem content to do it. Yeah. <laughs> the men's edition of the Omlupet Newsblad was won by Davide Ballerini. But sadly, Davide, if you're listening, it's not you who we want to focus on at the moment. Our hearts are, have been completely stolen by Jake Stewart, who is in his kind of... It's, I would say it's his neo-pro season with FDJ. I know his progression with them was accelerated at the, back, at the back end of last season. I think it was August he was moved up to the pro team and he competed in ghent Wevelgem. But he has just been unbelievable since the start of this season. A real surprise package. Yeah, I have to confess, I was not too aware of him until this uh, second place finish on Saturday. Um, and I think because it is just very strange to see a, a British rider coming through with a French team like that is, all, is very weird. I can not really picture Mark Madio screaming at him from the team car. Uh, <laughs> In the same way that he would Thibaut Pino or... <laughs> this is what I love. I love the fact that... I mean, I only really caught wind of Jake Stewart at the Etoile de Bessege when he won the Young Riders classification and put in an incredible time trial on the final stage. But it's, it's the fact that people don't know who he is. And I feel like that's going to continue because he's riding for a French team, as you say. There's not this hype around him. And almost long may it remain because it means he can sneak up the boundary 
on the final straight and take a second place because people aren't really concerned about him. People don't really know who he is that much in, in, the, in the bunch. I have to say, um, some credit to Ballerini as well because <laughs> um, first place was never really in doubt. He made it look very, very easy. Yeah, it's, um, it's when De Koenig quick step set up these classics. We know they do it. They do it every year. This is their time of the season when they shine. When it gets to the Grand Tours, they're not too bothered. They're there for stage wins. But the classics mm. is what they really go hard on. And, and it uh, was. It was Julian Alaphilippe in the World Champions jersey. Um, just grinding. He was, he was on the front of the peloton, basically, for the entire final 30K, just attacking or pushing and trying to set it up for his teammate to win. This is what I like seeing because when you see the world champion on the front working for another member of his team, it gets the cogs in your mind work going and you're thinking, he's only doing this because he wants them to support him in another race. Yeah. So when it comes <laughs> to the big ones, when it comes to your Strada Bianchi, your Milan San Remo, your oh, Paris Roubaix, that's when Hitler, Seneschal, Asgreen, the works, all pulling for him. And he can say, hey guys, I've done my work. I helped you out in that tiny, you know, Cobble Classic in, in Netherlands. I know. It's worth mentioning, though, that this is, this is happening at the same time that they've sent the lead-out train and Sam Bennett to the UAE and won two stages there as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, I mean, their, their depth in their squad is very good at the moment. And Cav to come. <laughs> Just going back to, to Jake Stewart, what he reminds me of uh, in this kind of early stage of his career is Hugh Carthy at Caja Rural. So it's this very similar vein in the sense that they're riding abroad for teams that I would say not so big. I mean, Caja Rural aren't as big as FDJ are in the, in the pro peloton at the moment. But it's almost, they're learning their trade over there with really good riders. And people don't really know what they're doing or you know what races they're competing in. And suddenly they're getting these big results. Hugh Carthy, a few years, a few years later, has got a podium in the Vuelta. So... By my logic, the sky is the limit for Jake Stewart. Absolutely. Uh, so you saw, I mean, one of the most exciting days of bike racing I think I've ever seen was uh, Hugh Carthy winning on the Angry Roo in the Welter last year. So if Jake Stewart's got a few days like that ahead of him, I'm very excited. Here you go. By my maths, right? So Hugh Carthy, <laughs> oh Hugh Carthy rode for, this is a bit of TT podcast logic. Yeah. Um, Hugh Carthy rode for Caja Rural 2015-2016. He came podium in the Vuelta, Spanish Grand Tour, Spanish team, right? Oh, I can uh, see where four this years is going. Later, four years later, okay? So by my reckoning, Jake Stewart rides for a French team. In four years' time, he'll have a podium in the Tour. Go down the bookies, put the money on it. It's a long bet, but it's almost certain to come in. <laughs> Get a good price. The Cobbles did not stop at Omloop Het Newsblad last weekend. Sunday, we had a doubleheader. Uh, we had Kerner Brussels Kerner. Now, I love this race. Um, I've loved it since 2019, which arguably is not that long ago, when Bob Jungles soloed off the front into a headwind. For me, Bob Jungles is to Kerner Brussels Kerner what Ian Stannard is to Omloop Het Newsblad. Tom, how did you enjoy Kerner Brussels Kerner? Well, this is a race that Mark Cavendish has won twice, so I'm quite offended that you haven't mentioned him there either. But it's just, as you know, I love these classics, and it's another one that just this double header on the opening weekend um, is very exciting. And I think it's, 
Kerner Brussels Kerner is particularly liked by the Belgians, whereas Omloops become more international in the last few years, as cycling has in general. This race, because it's slightly smaller in stature, still tends to be dominated, and you know most of the field is still Belgian. It's got a very Belgian feel to it, but I really like it. It also tends to finish in a bunch sprint, which is always nice. Yeah, well, it finished in a bunch sprint this year, but not for a lack of trying off Mathieu van der Poel. Obviously, <laughs> was not supposed to be there. It was not on his race calendar. He was forced to drop out of the UAE Tour um, and decided that what he would do is since there was no schedule and no plan, he would just solo with 80 kilometers to go. He almost stuck it as well. They got caught very late. When he, he was in, he, he was in the uh, bunch for the sprint, and I, I was watching him, and I thought, is he going to do? But no, he didn't quite seem to have the legs. Well, I want to say hats off to Jonathan Narvaez of Team Ineos, who I couldn't figure out when I was watching it was holding onto Van der Poel's wheel very well, or whether he was just hanging on for dear life. <laughs> Because Van der, Poel, Van der Poel is very similar to Van der Bregen. When they go off the front, it's like, oh dear, panic now. If you give him any more than a 40-second gap, he'll leave and he'll win the race. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen much of Van der Poel on the road um, because, of, because he tends to concentrate on the cyclocross and because he's been riding for a, you know, a second division team, essentially. He's not always been invited to the big races. He's not been at the Grand Tours. And I think this season with them getting the, you know, the World Tour invites, I'm really excited to see, his, see him hopefully have an expanded road program. Well, this is the thing. You and I have always had, well, we've always butted horns, really, about the Van der Poel, Wout van Aert debate. You're very much team Van der Poel. I'm very much team Wout van Aert. And for me, it comes down to the fact that Wout van Aert has proved himself in Grand Tours. He's won bunch sprints at the Tour de France. He's pulled up the mountains in the Tour de France. He's won classics. He's won monuments. He's won cyclocross world championships. And I'm not, I, I'm not listing all I'm, these I'm, things to get into a debate. Well, I'm I was going to say, because van, van der Poel has beaten Wout van Aert in classics and at cyclocross. Okay, as I say, I'm not getting into the debate now. But for me, as soon as well, uh, Mathieu van der Poel can prove himself at a grand tour and can show that he can do it over three weeks, that's when I'll maybe think he's in the same league as Wout van Aert. No, you're going to relegate him. <laughs> Irrelevant, those two at the moment. Let's talk about Mads Pedersen. Yeah, that was an impressive sprint. He's just, he's a wonderful classics rider. And I don't think he's, he's starting to get the credit for it that he deserves. I mean, he loves cobbles. Won Ghent mm-hmm. Wevelgem last year. He loves terrible conditions. Um, <laughs> think back to Harrogate. Ghent Wethergham last year was a horrible, windy one. Um, he won in Harrogate, obviously, in 2019 to state the World Championships. The question I'm going to put to you, Tom, is what is stopping Mads Pedersen from winning the World Championships again this year in Flanders? Matthew van der Poel. Oh, God, no. We, get, we moved on from that. <laughs> Uh, you know that I predicted three, four weeks ago that Van der Poel would win the uh, World Championships. You know, right? Pedersen certainly the um, he's the style of rider and the caliber of rider that you'd have to consider him. Um, in he he I he'll definitely be up there come the end, and it's good because I, he didn't really obviously get the year he wanted in the rainbow jersey because everything was cancelled. So it's nice to see him come back um, and win races again. 
immediately after he's out of the rainbow jersey. Yeah, I, I'm sure he would, he would have rather had it the other way. Yeah. But I think it was a bit of a saving grace, that win, for Trek Segafredo, who were essentially absent at Omelie Pet Newsblad, didn't have anybody in the front group. And then suddenly the next day, they've obviously had a kick up the arse from the, uh, from the sports director who said, right, Jasper Stuyven, you lead out Mads Pedersen, you win it. And that's exactly what happened. Jasper Stuyven was very good in guiding Pedersen kind of through that bunch perfectly with the lead out. And then Mads Pedersen, when he gets going, is very fast. Yeah, and obviously lucky that Brian Cockard had a mechanical about 4K from the finish line and wasn't there to contest it. I keep meaning to, every time we mention Brian Cockard, I keep meaning to look up when his last victory was. I mean, I, I love Brian Cockard and I think he's been very good. He was very good this weekend in the fact that he was in the front bunch for both races. He was mm. just very unfortunate when it comes to the sprint, which isn't good if you're a sprinter. No, um, but say uh, la vie. Exactly what Brian would say, Lecoq. Yep. Uh, that is French, by the way, for cockerel. That wasn't just me being crude on the podcast. <laughs> um, right, let's move on quickly. Tom, how do we preview big races on this podcast? Um, it's a good question. Um, it, it's going to be with some bizarre quiz that you've written, I reckon. Spot on. You're getting the hang of it now. <laughs> this weekend, we are going to be treated to... The sixth monument, as I like to call this, it. I, this is just, I, I don't understand this view at all, and I'm going to call you out. Look, I don't look, the thing is, Tom, I don't want to clash with you today because obviously you've already had a fight with your bedside table and you've potentially and a loose paving slab. Yeah, so it's not fair if I now start taking swings at you. Say what you like about Sharada Bianchi, but you will not take away that it is arguably, it's the, definitely the second most beautiful race in the calendar. It's about 13 years old, it's got no history. Okay, right. I hope you don't know the age too well, because that's the first question. <laughs> question one. For me, the only thing stopping Strada Bianchi from becoming the sixth monument is its age. I was going to say to the nearest 10 years, but it sounds like you know more about this than I thought you did. Um, how many years separate the first edition of Milan San Remo to Strada Bianchi? Oh, that is difficult. I think Strada Bianchi was first raced in 2007, 2008. Okay. But Milan Sanremo could be anywhere. Do you want me to give you to, I was going to give you to the nearest 10 years. Do you fancy yourself to the nearest five years? No, because Milan Sanremo could be anywhere between 1890 and 1940. I've got no idea when it started. <laughs> right. I'll give you to the nearest 10 years then. Um, so how many years separate them? I am going to go with 85. Incorrect. And even with the 10-year leeway, you'd be incorrect. 100 years exactly separate oh, really? the two races. Yeah, Milan San Remo. You correctly said Strada Bianchi was first race in 2007. Milan mm -hmm. San Remo. 1907. Correct. Yeah. Um, which makes, interestingly, Remco Evenepoel older than Strada Bianchi, which I think is the only thing in cycling that he's older than. As I told you, it's a, it's a tin pot race with no history. No, come off it. You sent me a message last <laughs> night saying it was a mid-importance race. And that actually, I went to bed kind of half seething. Um, and I hope it proves you completely wrong this weekend. Anyway. Uh, you wait for Amstel Gold when I'll be exactly the same. <laughs> 
Question two. Um, Stradibianchi is known for its gravel sectors. That's obviously where it gets its name from. For all of our listeners who do not speak Italian, like myself, Stradibianchi means essentially white roads in Italian. Is that correct, Tom? It is, like Strada is in the Autostrada. That's the motorway in Italian. And Bianco is in Vino Bianco, which is white wine. Perfect. Yep. Each gravel sector has a name, okay? Gravel sector eight is the only sector to be named after a rider. Who is it named after? Easy. Easy question. Go on then. Fabian Cancellara. Right, follow up. Why is it named after Fabian Cancellara? Because he has won the race three times. Okay, that was an easier question than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> this is what you I get for putting your Cancellara knowledge to the test. You obviously. I was going to say, um, I've got what, what you need is here. to you need to delve deep into like 16th century Tuscan history, like I did to you with the Emirates last week, uh, and then and then I might struggle. But Fabian Cancellara. If I went on Mastermind, it could be my specialist subject. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's hope this next one isn't your specialist subject as well. Question three, the f- third and final question of my three-piece Strada Bianchi preview quiz. The race finishes in Siena's Piazza del Campo. But what other major, major, another major cultural event, also like Strada Bianca, occurs there twice a year? Oh, what's it called? The weird horse thing. Um, the Palio. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to get... Not only have you got it right, but you've got the name spot on as well. It's called yeah. the Palio. Yeah, the Palio. Yeah. Um, it is a bareback horse race that happens there. Uh, Obviously, one think, is not sufficient. I think you'll find the correct terminology is weird horse thing. Yeah, I think you might yeah. be right. <laughs> um, for anybody that's curious about the weird horse thing, the Palio, I think it's called the... Palio del Campo, the, the Palio di Siena or something. Anyway, do your own Googling. Dig around as much as you like about the bareback horse racing that happens in Siena's main square. Um, I mean, it is, it is obviously, I mean, you do know this, but the rest of the listeners don't. My long-suffering girlfriend is Italian and took me on a tour of Tuscany about 18 months ago. And we actually arrived, not in Siena, but in, can't remember where we were. Might have been, I think it was Arezzo. And they were doing something very similar. It was like a sort of Renaissance thing with everyone like dressed up in costumes and just horses roaming freely everywhere. It was, it was, I had no idea what was happening. It sounds terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Tom, can I trouble you for a couple of predictions? I want your prediction for the men's edition of the Strada Bianchi and the women's edition. Uh, the men's edition, I know that you want me to say Roman Bardet, but I'm not going to. Um, it's a difficult one, mainly because I'm not entirely sure who's lined up to the race it yet. I mean, all the big hitters are going to be there, I think. Yeah. Which will be the first time since... What the Tour of Flanders that we're seeing the trio of Alaphilippe, Mathieu van der Poel, and Wout van Aert go head to head. Well, Wout van Aert is Wout van Aert is obviously the reigning champion, and my instinct is to back Mathieu van der Poel in every race he's in. 
But having said that Julian Alaphilippe does not have the legs to win the world championship, I think he's going to line up in the rainbow jersey and take it. Okay, so you're saying Julian Alaphilippe for the men's race? I am. I, it'll be no surprise to you and to many of our long-term listeners. I'm backing Roman Bardet, who I've been saying is going to win this race for months. And on Saturday, I'm going to be proved right. But on the very, very slight chance that he doesn't win the race, um, my, I'm going to go for an outsider prediction off Tim Wellens. Tim Wellens has been up near the front of all of these mm. races recently. He, mm. He's um smart little prediction, isn't it? Well, probably not, but uh, it's yeah, nice, nice, to, nice bit of a gamble for you. It might pay off. Who knows? And the women's edition, Tom? I think on the home turf, I would like to back Longo Borghini. Ah, that's what I was going for as well. Ah, just because she's Italian as well. Yeah, well, I thought she's going very strong <laughs> at the moment. She's won it before. Mm. Um, but I was also going to give the disclaimer that if Anna van der Bregen decides that she wants to win the race, she will win the race. Yeah. Um, no, I think the, the Italians always tend to do well on their home roads. I mean, that's rubbish because I know that of the, I think there have been five editions or six editions of the women's Strada Bianchi race and three of them have been won by a Dutch woman. So, and, <laughs> that's and good. the I, other I, two, Lizzie, she was Lizzie Armitstead at the time, but she got one. Uh, so the Italians have not historically done well in this race. Hey, well, it's nice that we've managed to come together at the end of this episode to back the same rider for the women's edition of Strada Bianchi. It is. That was unexpected. <laughs> um, Tom, I'm sure we will be tweeting and posting nonsense about these races all weekend. Where can people find that content? We will. I'll be bed bound with my broken ankle <laughs> tweeting from at TTPDCST, which, as we all know, is TT Podcast with all the vowels taken out. Perfect. Well, we've got a few more days of the week to get through until we can sit in this weekend, watch bike racing back on the TV. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Tom, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope you feel better soon. Get some ice on your ankle. Go to A&E if you need. Now that we've done the recording, you can do what you like. Yeah, great. Cool. Yeah, he has, he has held me hostage and made me uh, record this episode before I can go to hospital. Um, perfect. Well, we'll be back on the airwaves next week. But until then, take care, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. TTPDCST, which, as we all know, is TT Podcast with all the vowels taken out. All the vowels taken out, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely not staying in. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>